as a teacher. The idea of sharing proper education to those who had no access or capacity to practice this right is a bit cliché, yet a factual duty. I may or may have not believed this to be a vital driving force for my actions, as I was also an irrelevant cog in the system thirsty for self-affirmation and wished to play a role in a noble cause that I could be proud of. Whatever my reasons were at the time, it has led me to the most significant and also the most impossibly horrifying experience of my life. I've seen what nobody in their wildest imagination could have thought to exist. As a man in his early thirties, coming from a family of reputable professors, I always felt that I'm not exactly the well-established son that his parents would brag about. Me, becoming a teacher was more like a desperate plea for attention and recognition. I simply passed college with no flying colors and barely made it through the license exam. Teaching, well, was never really my passion, but I gradually learned to love it when I had my first job handling mid-schoolers. I was doing fairly well for the first couple of years until the frustration of being a nobody hit me again when I attended our family and friends reunion. My parents and their colleagues, well, they talked about their awards and international acknowledgements, going to different countries and leading charity works. I was nodding and smiling as I listened to their stories. And quite honestly, I felt like I was merely a clothed slab of meat on a chair compared to them. I chose to keep my stories to myself for obvious reasons, since the most exciting thing that ever happened to me was an unplanned camping trip when our bus broke down during my student's field trip to a local farm. I felt the immediate need to prove myself so badly. Upon their discussion, one of my father's friends mentioned an area that they never got to visit because of the incredibly challenging route. He was also told that small communities were known to be living there, but his crew weren't able to confirm it, so he scheduled another search that would happen soon. When he stood up from our table to refill his drink, I immediately followed him. Out of desperation and thirst for a chance. I asked to be a volunteer and help search the area. He said that I wasn't ready for such a heavy task and just suggested a few other volunteer works that I could easily start with, that I was way over my head and wanted the task that nobody was able to do before. I kept on pushing and pushing the entire night until he finally, reluctantly, gave in. He then started to give me warnings and pointers, but I was so excited that I barely absorbed anything else after he said his yes. I was given a month to prepare for the journey, physically and mentally. The date couldn't be moved since it was their contact on the place who had made the schedule. It was hard to say goodbye to my students for the time, but I was headed to a more substantial place and I was so full of it. I spent most of my month working out. A few of the pointers given to me, 
that I could hardly remember was that I should be at the peak of my well-being, since we would be climbing mountains and trek difficult terrains. I did what I could to improve my stamina, and greatly improve my physical strength within the given time. I did what I could in order to get myself ready for this adventure. Little did I know, there was nothing I could have possibly done to prepare myself for what was to come. I couldn't contain myself when the day finally arrived. I almost jumped out of my shoes out of excitement when we boarded the plane. I didn't really know how long it took before we landed since I passed out due to my complete lack of sleep over the excitement. There were just two of us at the beginning. Jimmy, another volunteer, he accompanied me. He was actually the one who told my father's friend about this isolated community. We were soon joined by a few local people, however, Sava and Daru, who scheduled the search to guide us on our journey. Jimmy told me that Daru was the person who helped him when he first came to this place. He was one of the very few people who learned to speak English somehow. Sava seemed very reserved and, well, she barely spoke to us. We rode a jeep for eight hours that led us to the less populated areas. Based on the reactions of the people we passed by, it was clear they weren't used to having foreigners on their land. I could see how the small glimpse of modern civilization in this land started to diminish even further as we traveled farther away from the populated areas. We then rode a boat for three hours, jumped onto a smaller one when we reached the shallow rivers, and we began to travel on foot. It took us four hours to climb the first mountain, and our guides told us that we needed to cross two more. As we descended from the second mountain, four and a half hours later, I was already gasping for air and my knees were shaking. I wasn't proud to admit it, but I was obviously the reason why we had to slow down. I couldn't keep up with them. It was the first time I felt so dead tired. It seemed my preparation was still far from enough. They let me recuperate for half an hour before we started climbing the last mountain. If it wasn't for our guides, I would have fallen in the hidden pits hours ago. And two hours later... We finally arrived at our camp. It was a small community. One of our guides, Daru, was from there. We were warmed welcomely by the people, especially Jimmy. The kids ran towards us with smiles and enthusiasm. Jimmy showed me their makeshift center where he taught some of them about first aid and the basics of reading and writing. For obvious reasons... This community was illiterate and knew so little about the world beyond the forest. He told me that some were willing to learn, but some simply refused to be influenced by our kind of progress. Like Daru, a few of them moved to lower grounds to have a different kind of living. I was a bit confused at the time since I was told that they weren't able to confirm the existence of the community in the area. It was pretty clear that Jimmy stayed here for a while before. 
That was when he told me that this was not the hidden community they were referring to, and he briefed me about the situation. My father's friend was referring to a tribe that resides far deeper into the forest. He was told that only a few people knew about it, and even most of the locals only heard stories and actually don't believe that it's real. But Daru confirmed to Jimmy that this hidden community is there. He claimed that our other guide, Sava, was actually from this tribe. We confronted Sava about it, so that we could know more about her tribe, but the language barrier made it extremely difficult. Aside from being totally clueless of English, Zava had a language that was also different from Daru's. There were a few similarities and terminologies, but even Daru couldn't understand much of what she was saying. Most of what Daru translated from Sava for us didn't make any sense at the time. Jimmy and I assumed that the important parts to what she said must have been misinterpreted. From what we roughly understood, she said that her tribe was just a very small community that highly valued their beliefs. But what perked our interest the most was her statement that we tried to clear up several times, yet she was saying the exact same thing. She said that, in her tribe, the men are the hunters and the children are the protectors. But we decided to call it a night and have our long-awaited rest. The next day, I assisted Jimmy in helping the community with their daily chores. We joined them during their early morning hunt and helped them prepare for their meal. The children gathered at the center in the afternoon and I started to play my role as a teacher. Some of the children and even a few teenagers were genuinely eager to learn how to read and write. I was lucky that Jimmy introduced them the alphabet before so I just had to continue where he left off. We did the same routine for three days. Jimmy was practically mentoring me how this kind of life as a volunteer usually is. He also told me that we should work on gaining Sava's trust so that she could point us where her tribe really was. We were also trying to gather more information about it, especially from her, but it was just getting even shadier and making less sense as we knew more. And on the fourth day, as I was teaching the kids, I saw Daru and Sava having an argument. I didn't want to interfere with what seemed like a lover's quarrel, although the distress on Sava's face looked as if it were more than that. That night, surprisingly, Sava and Daru approached us and said that they would lead us to where the hidden tribe resides. Jimmy was so pleased that he threw himself to Sava and hugged her. I was also happy that I would finally be able to get what I came for, being one of the only two people to discover a community which its existence was in deep secrecy, as if they were nothing but more than a tall tale. Well, it was obviously a pretty big deal to me. However, aside from the lack of solid information on their background, I felt like Sava was hiding something. I tried to tell Jimmy about it, 
but he was too excited to listen to anything that I had to say. We started our new journey at the break of dawn on the following day. The goal was simply to make first contact. Aside from cameras and hiking gear, we left everything behind to make traveling a bit easier. I was feeling worried and excited at the same time, while Jimmy just couldn't wipe the wide smile off of his face. A couple of hours later, the forest had gotten far thicker and murkier as we went deeper. With just a quick glance, it was obvious that this side of the forest was completely untapped. The towering trees made a roof of leaves, significantly dimming the sunlight. I could hear forest animals lurking from afar. I felt so alienated, and every step I made was straining what was pure. I was in constant awe as we went through. After six hours of walking a very difficult path, Sava abruptly stopped in front of us. She looked down to the ground, overflown with leaves as she was searching for something. Not knowing what she was up to, Jimmy decided to walk ahead to take some pictures. As he walked past her, Sava immediately pulled him back, and Jimmy dropped his bag along with his camera. She was still pulling him back as he tried to reach for his stuff that went through the pile of leaves, and that was when we discovered we were on the edge of a cliff. The thick leaves of the trees from below completely covered it from our sight. Sadly, it was the only waterproof bag we had, so both our phones and cameras were in it. Sava was completely tapping the ground as Jimmy mourned for our lost equipment. She was actually looking for a bridge that would lead us to the other side. There were no guiding ropes, and it was all covered with leaves as well. The steps were made of thick stems tied together, and the gap between each other was not exactly meant for crossing leisurely. Nobody would have ever noticed it if Sava wasn't there and knew about it. What greeted us on the other side was not exactly welcoming. Six tribesmen were standing there with their spears pointed towards us. Their bodies were covered in some kind of red mud, wearing headdresses made of animal bones. It was Sava's fellow tribesmen. Their eyes were almost red as if they haven't slept for days, yet they were quite wide awake. They were staring at us with disdain. One of them was shaking in anger, as if he was struggling to hold himself down. He pointed his spear against the neck of Daru so closely that it almost pierced him. Sava stepped in and pushed the guy back, and based on how they interacted, he must have been closely related to her. She started talking to them as if she were trying to explain herself. As they finally calmed down and put down their spears, Sava continued to lead us, and we followed her. I, well... I wanted to run back. My knees were shaking the entire time, and I felt like it would only get worse. But my feet went ahead without me thinking. After all, it was probably the safest thing to do at that moment anyway. 
I briefly glanced at Dara's face and realized that he was having the worst time compared to any of us. We finally arrived at the home of their tribe after an hour of very uncomfortable walking. They all stepped out of their houses as we arrived. They stared at us as if we were some kind of animals that they had never seen before. Sava wasn't lying when she said they were just a small community. Based on what I saw, there were just more or less, I don't know, 50 of them. A boy, which appeared to be Sava's younger brother, ran towards her and hugged her. I could see the ease and joy on her face when she saw him. Sava turned her head to us and stared with such an emotion as if she wanted to say something. And a few seconds later, a man stepped forward to approach us, and Sava suddenly knelt before him and cried. Without any words, I knew that it must have been her father. A woman then came along and helped Sava get back on her feet. She gently wiped off her tears. It was obvious that this was her mother, and unlike the others, her mother smiled at us and grabbed my arm. She pulled me out of the crowd, and I pulled Jimmy with me. We wanted to take Daru with us, but Sava's father stepped in. The tension gradually subsided as we stayed inside Sava's bungalow with her mother. She was very kind and offered us food. She must have missed her daughter very badly, and she took us in as her friends. I peeked outside and saw Sava's dad and Daru from afar. It looked as if he was just interrogating him, which for me looked normal since he took his daughter away from him and well, from the tribe. Now, a few hours later, Jimmy and I finally gathered confidence to walk around and observe the community peacefully. We were both still very cautious in approaching the others, but they did seem a bit friendlier than before. I strolled around further and saw a river nearby. As I was washing my face, I felt an eerie vibe enshrouding me. I found myself staring at the other side of the river for no reason. The grass was significantly taller over there. The trees were obviously older and so close to each other that some of them grew intertwined. As I stared longer, I felt like someone or something was staring back at me. The eerie silence was broken by the giggles of the kids running behind me. Like in Daru's community, they started to play around with me. As I interacted with them, I noticed that most of the boys were no older than ten years old. Aside from Sava's brother, I only identified three other boys around the same age. I was looking for it, so I saw it. Although, I wasn't sure at the time if it was just my imagination. I turned my head back across the river before I walked away, and I saw a silhouette of a young child hiding behind the trees. The kids were pulling me with them, so I looked away for a second. But when I looked back again, well, the child was gone. As the night arrived, 
Jimmy and I had too much of what tasted like really strong wine of some kind. Some kind of alcohol. Salva's mother was kind enough to let us sleep in their home, and so we did. A couple of hours later, flashes of light briefly caught my attention. I struggled to open my eyes, and I saw what looked like torches passing by the door opening. I just ignored it and decided to continue my sleep, but I jolted awake when I heard a scream of a familiar voice. I immediately stood up and shook Jimmy. I slapped his face to wake him and told him that Sava could be in trouble. I heard her scream for the second time. Jimmy was taking a while to gather his senses, and so I ran out of the bungalow. On a moonlit night, combined with the number of torches glowing intensely, it was easy to find where the tribe was gathered. With no clue what I would see, and no idea how I should react. I went towards the glow as I felt the heat gradually increasing as I went closer. Sava screamed for the third time. My adrenaline was triggered, my senses heightened, and I arrived at the scene. Daru was laid unconscious on the ground, beaten to a pulp. Sava was crying her heart out as her own parents held her down. They were all gathered around Daru and reciting a chant. She was reaching out to her raft, carrying four of their older kids crossing the river, including her younger brother. A thick smoke was coming from the raft, and it had a very strong smell. It was like a huge bundle of incense being burnt. The raft was also being pulled to the other side by a number of kids, I confirmed that I wasn't imagining things when I saw a child hiding in the trees earlier, but I was shocked to see how many there actually were. Jimmy arrived next to me and nonchalantly asked what was going on. His voice caught some of their attention, including Sava. She saw me and called out to me with such distress, and without understanding what she said, I knew exactly what I had to do. I jumped in the river, and I swam and chased after the raft without thinking twice. Some of the tribesmen followed me, but most of them went to Jimmy as he caused the commotion by punching Sava's father to release her. But I failed to pull the raft back. It already landed on the other side before I reached it. I still went ahead and followed, but my path was blocked by a tribe of children. They were all covered in black mud, and their eyes were all white. They had no emotions on their faces at all, as if they were in a trance, and they acted together without a single word being said. I tried to pass through, but they were unexpectedly strong. The four boys that were with me earlier were being led by one of the odd children with their eyes closed. My sight was being blocked by the thick smoke coming from the raft, and so I forcefully kicked it away, thinking that it might be some sort of herbal drug that was causing the children to behave in such a way. But I was so wrong. As the raft floated farther, I heard a monstrous groaning as the ground shook. 
the white-eyed children moved back as if they were giving path to something impossibly huge. Even the tribesmen that were chasing after me swam back to their side, behind the tall trees blocking my line of sight, and an inexplicable image started to emerge. I was completely stunned. I was soaking wet, but I could feel my cold sweat flowing across my face. My heart felt like it was about to burst. I was so frightened that I couldn't even move a single finger. My eyes were locked to this gigantic creature of nightmares appearing before me. It was taller than the towering trees. Quadrupedal, gargantuan beast with horns that could easily be mistaken for tree trunks. Its body was covered in soil with the same murky texture of the forest ground. Its eyes were also white, the same as the kids that seemed to be looking after it, and a dense black substance dripped as this unearthly beast opened its gaping mouth. It seemed attracted by the scent of the smoke. It was easily causing tremors with just minimal movements, and then it slowly started to step towards the floating raft which was just right behind me. With all the sense of sanity and strength that remained in my jittering bones, I forced myself to step back and get out of the way. With very small back steps, I fell down into the river. And, well, that's the last thing I remember. I passed out as I hit the water. The next thing I knew... I was being carried by Jimmy. We were escorted back to the bridge by two tribesmen the next day. They didn't even wait for me to wake up before they cast us out. Daru and Sava were no longer with us. And I tried to ask Jimmy what had happened after I lost consciousness, but he was still in a deep state of shock for what had happened. It took us almost two days before we got back to Daru's community. I tried to tell the others what had happened, but they said nothing about it, as if they were already expecting the outcome of our journey. I had so many unanswered questions, but not one person was willing to answer any of it. Jimmy, well, Jimmy didn't say a single word as we headed back home. He seemed deeply traumatized. Well, I don't blame him. I was right there, right in front of whatever it was. But I still couldn't bring myself to believe it. To make some sense of what led to that night, it seemed as if Asava was planning to rescue her brother with our help, without us knowing. And Daru was against it at first. Whether I'm right or wrong, everything miserably failed. There were just two of us that could say what we had witnessed. One came back mentally broken, and my statements would be taken as nothing more but a drug-induced nightmare. We had no evidence of any kind, and her sole contact in order to go back there was... Nowhere to be found. If Daru was even alive. 
As for the records, the search was a fail. This hidden tribe remains nothing more but a tall tale for everyone else. Except for me.